Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to do Ask Me Anything number six. Got a really good group of questions coming from dad life, going into looking at what actually matters in hypertrophy, and then a really good question on what supplements should I take. So all really great questions. Appreciate everybody getting on that. If you guys haven't heard, we added a debate section to PH Podcast. Myself and Pat Davidson went at it in terms of looking at time and attention. So I, obviously, like I am a fan of it, and Pat actually gave some really good counterpoints to it. So make sure you check that out. You got to be a member to be actually access that. So get on the website, subscribe, see that great debate, which is two hours, an absolute banger and over 50 modules to dive into. We've already gone through 20-something in terms of the podcast and everything else. There's still another 30 we got to dive into, and they're all broken up into A, principles, B, practical, C, case study, which is only featured on the website. We don't do the actual podcast for case study, so if you want to see the video of me describing what I'm doing with my athletes and clients, in a case study format, that's on the, the subscription-based model. And then we have our interview with a strength coach where we dive into that topic and subject matter with a professional in the industry. So a lot of really cool content actually on the website. So check that out. We also got our book coming out, working with the editors right now. So that should be available for pre-order. Stay tuned with that. If you're not a member of or a subscriber of our newsletter, we do have a week, a buy every three weeks, a new strength deficit newsletter where I go through metrics, I go through exercises and it all leads into a better understanding of the book and then the resources that are gonna be attached to the book. So I hope you guys understand this or I hope you guys appreciate this. Hope you guys are getting really good work out of this. Uh, and thank you guys for all the support and we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, ask me anything number six. Got a couple of really good questions here. I'm gonna open up with Corey Hobbs asking how uh, how I'm doing with being a second, uh, having a second child and being a dad of two now. I'm doing great, uh, mom's doing great, everything is going great, uh, really can't complain. A lot of moving parts, but it's fun, it's a blast. She's awesome and uh, big brothers loving little sister, so all good there. Thank you for checking in. Uh, and now everyone knows I'm a dad of two. All right, second big question I got was what what matters towards hypertrophy? You know, so I think this is a a question that I think is really simple, but also too I think there's an easy there's an easy way to kind of get very very complex with this. But the reality is, it's tension. Tension is the most important thing by far, right? Can we create tension within a muscle? to create some sort of adaptation. And there's a lot of things that we should try to figure out what to do with that tension, right? How long should it go or duration of a set? Classified as either repetitions or time under tension. It should be total time under tension. The longer that duration to a certain point, and we're thinking like anaerobic threshold of like you know, 40 to 70 seconds kind of thing, is really what determines increasing the size of a muscle cell, right? So time matters. Repetitions are a quantity that we can use to really understand how to manipulate that. And we, we want to get really good at tempo and leveraging repetitions within tempo, right? So is it easier to do a set of 20 with a 10XO tempo or is it more effective to do 10 with a 20XO tempo? Like what's easier for the user? What's more understandable? It's the same duration. So in theory, if we're under tension for that time period, it should manifest into the same outcome, right? But tension being the key thing. If we're under tension for 20 seconds, regardless if it's 20 reps or 10 reps, it really doesn't matter as long as there's tension. The other big part though is to really understand density within a session. How long do we have to recover 
from one set to the next within an hour training session or whatever time allotted towards training. So if I have more density, I create more metabolic byproducts, hydrogen ions, phosphates, fatigue substrates, calcium starts to become more and more of, of an issue because we don't have it to attach a tropomyosin and create troponin connection and then have that, that myosin actin cross bridge action going and we just can't contract, right? This gradient is now off and we're looking at it from a density standpoint, the more dense something is, the more fatigue substrates we create and the less probability of success out of certain contraction. This is the point of understanding what work-to-rest ratio really matters. And you can look at it from a variety of standpoints, right? Well, things are more intense, they have typically less density. Things are less intense, they have more density. And this is why it's so important to read through the literature and understand the work of Schoenfield, but even looking through some of the other directions of some really time-tested, proven methods of training between bodybuilding, like Bill Pearl at Secrets of the Inner Universe. He'll talk about just doing circuits of 20, one set of, one set of 20 of every body part three times a week. You know, that's a Bill Pearl Secrecy Universe program, right? That's a high volume, high density protocol. You know, Vince Gerondi used to talk about doing eight sets of eight as quickly as possible. And that kind of brought bridge by Charles Poliquin in 10 sets of 10. It's really the same pretense. And what Charles would do is do a minute between A1 and A2 and A2 to A1. So you're looking at, you're doing 100 rep, 200 reps within 10 minutes, not counting the actual or 20 minutes, not count, counting the actual time you're under tension as well as the time that you're resting. It's a lot of reps in a short period of time. So another really classic method from Nebraska called the, the Husker Power Circuit or the Metabolic Circuit is doing three sets of 10 to 12 every 80 seconds starting a new set of 10 exercises, right? So I do a set of 12, 80 seconds is a continuous clock. When 80 seconds is up, regardless if it takes me 20 seconds or 40 seconds to complete that rep, that set, I'm back up again. So now I'm getting essentially three times 12 times 10, so 360 reps in 40 minutes. That's a lot of density. The intensity needs to go down though to complement that. And when you have someone who's a relatively faster twitch muscle fiber, that much volume or that much density or that much acidity is hard for them to manage because they don't have as much monocarboxylate transport systems, so like transporting their lactate to their more fatigue resistant or oxidative muscle fibers. And then I have much mitochondria to, chondria to clear that lactate on a local level, or just managing all that excess NADH, right? So if we don't have enough of our citric acid cycle, electron transport cycle, we have a lot of hydrogen ions, specifically NADH, escape into the cytosol and it creates this acidic environment and lactate dehydrogenase. What that does, it starts to convert that LDH or the NADH into lactate to buffer or really manage all of that excess acidity in the cytosol because the cytosol doesn't want to be acidic, right? They don't need that. And that will stop oxytocondase. It will stop all these other pathways within the glycolysis pathway to blunt energy production because it just simply needs, now we've reached this point of uh, diminishing returns. And that's kind of the anaerobic threshold. But we're looking at this between the variables of, of all right, well, from a, a volume or time under tension perspective, from a frequency perspective, and then, or for not from a frequency perspective, from a density perspective, and then the final aspect of frequency. Right? How many times do I need to hit a muscle group within a microcycle? You know, and you can look at it, we do three-day total body training because we feel like that's covering a lot of bases, but it's also due getting a lot more bang for your buck. There's also a classic bodybuilding split. And what that goes into is a, 
it's almost as micro dosing. Like how much can I fatigue my nervous system slash a local muscular area doing 20 sets on a body part every seven days is in my opinion, not enough stimulus, but to be frank, you know, it's really used quite a bit and it's used by some successful people. Now we the thing that we need to take into appreciation with is people who are anabolic steroids or on TRT, they're not someone we should base our decisions off of. It's not a really good litmus. There's anything they do that works. It's like taking a novice and never trained before and doing something new with them that's gonna work. So as we start to break down what are the big levers to pull to create muscle, we wanna think about we wanna think about more experienced people who aren't using performance enhancing drugs as the base and then try to fractal that out or pull that out towards people who potentially are and think of what the potential benefits are. Like that's the thing I think we need to think about and frame this as is looking at hypertrophy as this mechanism that is based off attention and how we manipulate time under tension, density, and then the final aspect of frequency is what really makes the difference, right? And, and I'm, I'm saying this with the pretense that technique, full range of motion matters. Having more tension and control through that ten, more range of motion and control at that range makes a huge substantial difference. So putting all that into context, we need to have that appreciation that for our hypertrophy to work, it has to be under tension, it has to be with great technique, and it has to have some sort of some sort of appreciation for time under tension, density on a micro level, and then frequency on a more macro level. And then the duration of that meso. How long can we go through what we call an accumulation block or creating stress through volume without breaking down? Right, and more fast twitch athletes are gonna they're gonna break down more quickly. They're gonna adapt faster. They're gonna respond to the stimulus, and they're also gonna produce more produce, produce more fatigue faster. So we have to take that in consideration as well. So the meso might be shorter. We might want to leverage different total times under tension. So a functional hypertrophy of twenty to forty, forty to seventy for more traditional hypertrophy. That we can get really good results by getting higher intensity slash lower intensities and higher volumes. And then we got to think about outside the box here, thinking. When someone's really, really adapted to a set and rep scheme, let's say they've been doing six to eight for the last year, right? That's all they do, six to eight reps, where they read five by five, or Bill Starr's five by five, or they're doing Bill Perils three sets of 20, or one set of 20 for one body part three days a week. Right? They've been just doing that for an extended period of time. We need to apply a different and unique stimulus to create some sort of some sort of change, and that's progression. That's that's looking at specific set, the said principle, specific adaptation to post demands, and thinking, okay, can I create a really high response with a very low intensity, high volume, like a Katsu or BFR protocol? Maybe I need to increase strength to improve their more nervous system function and doing more relative strength or power, for instance. Maybe I need to do more of a conjugate or concurrent method of getting a lot more of a varied stimulus within a training session that will alter the density all these things have a huge place in this. And all we're thinking about now is tension still has to be at the forefront. If it's heavy, it's still got to be high tension. If it's light, it's still got to be high tension. And then how we adjust the, the total time under tension, the density and the frequency is really what we have to use more of an art right now of, of looking at it and saying, that person's fast switch, that person's experience, that person's been doing this protocol for a set period of time. I need to quote unquote change it up. That's where it really makes a difference. And nutrition's a whole other concept, which leads me perfectly into the final question I got is, what supplement should I take? And this is such a broad and very, very loaded question. So I'm gonna go on this two frames, right? From a performance perspective and then from a general health perspective, right? What we can look at from a general health perspective is most people, 
in American westernized society are going to be at risk for cardiovascular metabolic syndrome. Fact. We overconsume. We don't do enough aerobic or long, slow distance exercise. We're overly stressed. We start to develop a lot of umbilical fat and we start to become high cortisol, low testosterone, etc. From a general health perspective, and there's a really good research article to show the value of health and longevity and life lifespan correlated to take a multivitamin. Now the key, and this is a really important key, is in the notes it says people who take a multivitamin were more likely college educated, exercise, and more health conscious about the foods they ate. And you can look at that as, okay, was it the higher level of education, the more exercise and health conscious, and the better they ate better foods, or was it because of the multi chicken or the egg? The point being is if we know that having a balanced set of micronutrients from fat soluble, water soluble, and and actual minerals in our diet, and there's a point of diminishing returns on some. Fat soluble vitamins need to be balanced. Water soluble vitamins, most vitamin C and most B vitamins, those have very little upper limit. But on the other end, when we look at minerals, we look at the deficiency in a lot of the foods that we eat. They're depleted of nutrients, depleted of minerals. If we're over-consuming certain foods, we might be deficient in certain minerals. So most males, if they're eating red meat, they're going to have excess iron. So we should be thinking about giving blood. That's a whole other topic. But we should also be thinking about they're probably not getting enough nutrients from magnesium and zinc. We need to potentially supplement that, and we should be able to get that from good multi. So general health multi. Looking at the other end, is going back to the metabolic cardiovascular syndrome, is most people have an overwhelming amount of omega-6s, so you should be thinking about taking a fish oil. If they don't want to take a fish oil, you should think about them looking at something lower overall, lower overall information, like a curcumin or turmeric extract, and then pairing that up potentially with a resveratrol. Now on the other note, we look at, right, if someone's overly stressed and overly fight or flight, if they're just a dopamine burner, then we might need to look at things that create less acidity and create more of an alkaline base. A green supplement, magnesium, that'd be really good. If someone has high cholesterol, we're thinking about potentially aged garlic extract, something like kaolic extract would be a really good thing to do. And then we kind of go into a little bit more nuance of health and things like that and just looking at general overall uh, things that you know people are really struggling with. I can look at your diet, I can say, okay, that person... That person really, really is not getting enough micronutrients in their natural diet. They're not eating enough fruits and vegetables. They're eating a lot of conventional produce, conventional feedlot-based meats and meats and uh, and things from that nature. Okay, well, we're gonna have to get some more micronutrients from their diet. I might need to beef up their their magnesium. I might need to get some vitamin D3. I might need to get some more fish oil in there. All the while, but generally speaking, multi fish oil, possibly a curcumin, magnesium, and then honestly, maybe even a green supplement. If you're overly stressed, maybe B vitamin as well. Now, on a performance end, I think it kind of goes into what goals you have. But what we have to look at is performance really needs to be tied into how do we have the best training session possible? And what the question is, what are we doing? Do you have a purpose or are you just winging it? Are you just walking in there going, whatever? Or do you have a plan? Do you do a, a program, periodized, periodized program? Yes or no? And if you do, that kind of creates this, this concentric circle of like, what do you need from a peri-workout nutrition standpoint, a pre intra post So if it's intensification, you should be thinking about getting some neurotropics. You should think about getting some phospholipids. You should think about getting some amino acids like tyrosine and phenylalanine, potentially even theanine. You should think about getting caffeine if it's accumulation, you might want to think about how do I create more healthy, sustainable energy, and I'm going to go through a lot of, lot of glycogen, 
So maybe I need to supplement with a carbohydrate, something that doesn't potentially impact insulin like a UCAN. Maybe I need to get a little bit of powder protein in there because I'm gonna burn through my amino acids that go through this. Maybe I wanna think about getting some away protein, which has a high amount of glycine and glutamine, which I'm gonna use pretty readily during my training. Maybe you wanna look at acetylcarnitine or something of that nature, like a citrulline or agmatine, to help with vasodilation and improving my actual fatty acid synthesis and fatty acid utilization during workouts. All the while, from pre-standpoint, it should be specific to what we're doing in the training session. Now, during the training, depending on the density and the duration as you're going, so if it's over an hour, you probably need to utilize a carbohydrate supplement. If it's under an hour, you probably need to really manage what you're doing within that session to get the best quality possible. So there are some people who do really high-density workouts with very high glycolytic activity that are going to burn through a lot of glycogen that might think about utilizing a, a carbohydrate supplement during workouts. Now, be conscious of not burning through a lot of, not creating a lot of blood sugar spikes for you to see an energy crash towards the tail end of your workout. So something like a UCAN is really powerful here. You want to limit things that's low gastrogen emptying, so you don't want to take a lot of fat during workout. Now, on the other end, amino acids, specifically essential amino acids, which is a combination of all of the essential amino acids, helps to spare glycogen utilization during a workout. Throw a little creatine in there, you got a high energy phosphate through your workout, better performance, bang. So enter your workout, maybe a little bit of whey protein, maybe a little bit of uh, you can, some amino acids should be really good to go. Electrolytes as well. If you're burning through a lot of electrolytes and you're just sweating a lot and you're spending a lot of energy, you're gonna go through a lot of electrolytes. Now on the back end, it goes into, okay, what are your goals again? And what is your, what is your insulin tolerance and what is your autoimmunity? So I get really frustrated when people say there's no such thing as a bad food. I think that's the most asinine thing we could possibly say. Like it is so stupid in my mind. I'm sorry, it just is. Like how can we say that in this day and age? We have a hundred year meta-analysis coming from Ansel Keys promoting a high carbohydrate diet leading into a lot of corn, soy based foods to high fructose corn syrup, trans fat, hydrogenated oils being used in high commonplace to increase the epidemic of metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease that we have in America today. There are absolutely unequivocally bad foods. And when we use this only fit your macro approach of like just getting this many carbohydrates and this many grams of protein, it doesn't matter from where, we run into the risk of putting people in a, in a very compromised state recovery-wise. It affects the immune system, from a con from a like conscious level, we should think about how it affects the actual environment and the world around us. But telling someone, just go to Mickey D's and get a Pop-Tart because that has the right macros, that's asinine. That is so stupid. Now, there are ways to get high glycemic carbohydrates that aren't autoimmune inducing. You know, a lot of people don't have an aversion to things like cornflakes or maple syrup. These are really high glycemic things that don't cause a lot of autoimmunity, that don't cause downstream effects if they are insulin sensitive. Like one of the most powerful, potent things to get in if you have good body composition and good insulin regulation is high glycemic carbs. Replenishes glycogen, stimulates GLUT4 transport, improves mTOR pathways tenfold, like night and day. So if you have good body composition and good insulin, Management, like if you look at your H1AC, if you look at your fasting blood glucose, if you're below four in H1AC, if you're below 100, maybe even 90 something on fasting blood glucose, you can utilize a higher glycemic carbohydrate post workout more readily. There's some good supplements out there, like a pentacarb from, from ATP Labs, quadicarb from Poliquin, Carb Slam out there from uh, just, I don't know what, I think it's literally just called Carb Slam, or just go simple maple syrup, but ripen bananas. 
All these things have a ton of glucose in it. All these things are very loaded with simple sugars. And they're gonna spike insulin, which is gonna help you recover faster. The other part is, hey, there is a benefit from having a really good dialed in process to understand how you respond to certain certain proteins. Whey protein is a very fast digesting protein. It has a little bit of an insulinic response, more so than other proteins, because it's, it's basically anytime we detach protein from fat, you're gonna run into this issue where you're gonna have a very quickly digesting protein. So if I'm looking at what protein I want, if I have someone who's insulinic and doesn't have autoimmune inducing situations, whey protein's amazing, it's great, do it. Ten, it should be your go-to. Until we find out we can, if you look at the GI distress, they have gas, they have bloating, they start getting acne, they probably have some mild intolerance to whey. It's such a quickly digested protein. These undigested peptides enter our system and create autoimmunity, create inflammation, create an increase in white blood cell count. And this is, redundancy is a big part of this. You see the bodybuilding diets that lead to this, right? You see whey protein, chicken, like lean chicken breast and egg whites lead to these downstream effects of people getting undigested proteins into their system and getting autoimmune response. That's why these guys have bloat, that's why these guys have acne, that's why these guys have inflammation of the wazoo, that's why these guys get chronically ill, that's why they're dying early, that's why they have cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome. Like, it's pretty profound. You can see there's with endurance athletes too, these guys are running extended periods of time sucking down monosaccharides all day and trying to get high calorically dense foods that are processed. They create a lot of autoimmune problems and they start to get upper respiratory illness, pneumonia, strep, they start to get various other things that start to delay their recovery that impact them in a, in a negative way. Nutrition definitely matters here. So if they can't tolerate whey, okay, maybe you need to supplement with a, whey, a plant-based protein. Looking at one that has a combination of hemp, 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 pea, and rice protein. Maybe you need to look at a beef isolate protein, which is a really good option as well. And there's some good ones as well. Maybe you just need to increase your amino acids or getting a protein that you can tolerate post. It might slow gastric emptying, but same token too, it's it's more of a management of glucose. If I can't tolerate carbohydrates, shouldn't take in carbohydrates, and I want to be in a, in a deficit from a, a insulin perspective as well as from a glucose perspective, because I want to use that and go through beta oxidation and gluconeogenesis and using fats as fuel which is okay, you might not have the best recovery in the world, but you're definitely gonna utilize more of the things that you want for fuel to help you recover eventually. And over time, improve your body comp, improve your insulin regulation, improve your blood glucose. You start to tolerate carbohydrates better and you get this really powerful tool that you can pull the lever on. Where if you're supplementing before an intro with amino acids or protein, you shouldn't need a whole lot afterwards. You need some, but it's not as critical as carbohydrates or the lack thereof. And then it goes into, okay, well, there's a whole debate I don't necessarily think there's enough consensus out there to supplement with antioxidants post-workout to say that's it's a beneficial thing. There's a natural hormesis effect of we just apply to stress and the body now needs to adapt to that. So we've intentionally incurred this, this inflammation on a local muscular level. Let it go through its process. Don't try to quench these free active oxygen species. If we're doing enough in terms of B vitamins from a health perspective, if we're doing enough from... Uh, having healthy fats in through the rest of her diet with omega-3s and, and monosaturated and good saturated from, from grass-fed sources. Well, okay, we, we should be in a good spot from a phospholipid perspective. We're doing enough from a, a acidity standpoint and getting buffering agents like, like a magnesium or if you want to go down the road of looking at curcumin or looking at things like 
potentially even uh, beta beta or beta alanine or even something along the lines of citrulline agmatine. These are all like things that can help in terms of creating more vasodilation, better buffering mechanisms, and then overall more alkaline environment. That's that's all good. But if we're doing that more on a gradual and long-term basis outside, and that's really directly associated with peri-workout, we should be in a good spot. Okay, so quick recap of all the things we talked about. Dead life's going great. In terms of hypertrophy, tension's king. Depending on how we leverage time under tension, density and frequency really makes a big difference. All caveat though, it's based off of quality. And then in terms of what supplement should I take, it really comes down to looking at it from a health perspective, multi, mag, fish oil, maybe a green supplement, maybe a B vitamin, maybe something along the lines of a curcumin to really help with the whole overall process. On the other end, from a performance standpoint, getting a combination of neurotropics and phospholipids and certain amino acids before an intensification training session. If it's accumulation, you might want to think about a carbohydrate supplement, we might want to think about acetylcarnitine or just a carnitine combination to help stimulate that. We might want to think about vasodilators like agmatine and citrulline. Eat your workout, amino acids, potentially some carbohydrates that don't impact insulin like a UCAN. So if I can get a high density block and I have good quality towards the end, or if I'm going a longer duration, I have good quality towards the end. And then post based off our insulin regulation and what can we tolerate from a carbohydrate standpoint and what can we tolerate from an autoimmune standpoint. So I hope that all helps. Hope that makes sense. Appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. I'll keep the answers coming right back at you.